welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton. And today we have a very special episode. So moving forward, uh, you'll notice that some of the episodes will say anonymous guest. And these anonymous guests that I have on the show are men from around the world who are going to join me on the podcast and share their life story. They're going to share a bit about their childhood, uh, some of the challenges, obstacles, trauma that they faced. They're going to share some of their lessons and growth. Um, But they are here because they're looking for some help on something. And today, uh, the gentleman that's joining me is looking for some support on being able to build his level of self-worth. And we know when we start off the podcast, we dive into his uh, you know, family of origin story and kind of talk about his childhood and some of the challenges that that he started to face. He shares a little bit about going through the military. Uh, he flash forwards to, you know, the divorce that he uh, just went through and uh, about a year and a half ago. And he shares not only his life story, but he starts to unpack what really is a bit of a, a tale of trauma. And we go back to these moments of his life um, post-war where he's struggling with PTSD because of some of the things that he's seen. Uh, We see these traumatic moments happen from his childhood where he recalls just scenes that no young young boys should see and and then starts to piece together how those things have impacted his current life, how they impacted his relationship, uh, how they impacted his level of happiness and joy and you know that he's been sort of dealing with depression and and battling you know battling with depression behind the scenes and starts to see how uh he, you know he went through some of the darkest moments of his life he talks about suicide and um really not being able to bring himself out of the hole that he felt like he got himself in after the war and after being in the military fighting in Afghanistan so this is a really deep dive in his story. It's longer than the normal podcast, about an hour and a half long. Um, I would encourage you to really listen to this man's story through the lens of compassion and see where you can find yourself in some of the experiences that he's gone through and put yourself in his shoes. And the interesting thing about this podcast is that the further into the show that we got, the more that he actually opened up and talked about some of the challenges that he faced uh, throughout his life. And we left him with a little bit of a solution and, and a mission and an assignment. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. Uh, before I bring him on the show, just a quick reminder for all the guys that are out there. Uh, if you're interested in doing this type of work, if you are looking to take a deep dive into some of the stuff that's been going on in your life around your relationship or your career, or your sense of purpose, uh, or even just, you know, you as a, as a father and a husband and a leader, maybe your identity is starting to shift. I definitely recommend that you check out the Man Talks Weekend. It's a phenomenal resource for those who are looking to make a lasting change in their life. So you can go to mantalks.com, check out the uh, Men's Weekend there. And uh, don't forget to share this podcast episode if you enjoyed it. It's it's a very incredible and and powerful episode. So without any further delay, please welcome uh, my very first anonymous guest, actually second anonymous guest. I had one on. Uh, several months ago. So welcome, my guest. How are you? I I am doing very well and uh, looking forward to digging into digging into this with you a little bit. So how, how are you feeling up front? I'm feeling pretty good at the moment. Yeah? E- excited to dive in? Oh, I'm very excited. 
Good, good. Okay, great. Well, um, like I said, this is just a reminder for all the listeners, this is going to be uh, completely anonymous. So my guest today is going to share a bit about his personal story and some of the challenges uh, you know, that he's faced within, within his life and, um, and, and work on a specific theme. So with that in mind, my friend, what are you looking to work on today? I'm looking to better see my own self-worth and maybe try to figure out some trust issues that I got going on and hopefully I can better trust people in my life. Okay, great. So give us maybe just a little bit of insight into your history, your chronology, if you can. Maybe just unpack a little bit about your your family system and what it was like within your family growing up and where you fit into that family system. Um, I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts. I had my mom and dad. They were together for a while. Uh, they went and they were divorced when I was young. My father was abusive towards my mother. And then growing up, you know, I had troubles in school. And from school, I went into the military and spent six years in the military. I deployed to Afghanistan between 2009 and 2010. I got out in 2012 and came back home. I had a lot of troubles when I first came home, you know, hanging out with the wrong people, um, just making a lot of rough decisions, bad decisions. Finally got away from that crowd and things started to get better. I was married in 2010 and getting divorced at the moment. Um, so it's been, it's been up and down for a lot of my life. Okay. Yeah. Can you, can you give us a little bit more context for, were you an only child? Did you have siblings? Uh, so I have two older siblings, both sisters. One who she went to college and she did a lot of things in college. She never finished college. Uh, she owns her own business now. Uh, my middle sister, she finished college. She went to college and she's doing really well for herself now. Okay. And were, were you, uh, you just give us a little bit more context. You said you, you sort of, you were in the army and when you came back, you really struggled, got into the wrong crowd. Um, can you give us a little bit more context into what, not necessarily the details of what happened while you were gone, but maybe what, uh, just sort of high level, what that looks like and, and what caused a little bit of that struggle and then, and then what that was like after and how you tried to deal with some of that. Um, so I got back and I got married very quickly to a person who, uh, I thought was good for me. Um, and then once I got out of the military, we came back to my hometown and I started working for who I thought was a friend of mine, just helping him out with his business. And I was trying to live my life too much like him. And he was making, um, a lot of bad decisions and going outside of his own relationship. And I started going down that road as well. And I was a very angry individual, very, selfish individual just for context when uh, did you marry your wife before you went into the military or or, or after uh, no so when i came back from deployment um i met her through one of my friend's friends she was in a different state at the time and we were talking through text and phone call and i told her pretty much you know why don't you come out here and 
where I was, and she came out, and so we were dating for a month, and then we ended up getting married. Hmm. Got it. Okay. And uh, and and how long were you two together total? Uh, eight years. Eight years. All right. And so that was that was largely post military. It was a year before I got out. Yeah. Okay. And so you get married, you get out of the military. And, you know, I I think before we got on the call, you had mentioned that there was some uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that had happened because of the military. Um, Again, you don't, you don't have to talk about the details of what those, what those things were, but maybe just give the listeners a little bit, because not everybody understands what, what it's like to go through um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so maybe can you just give some context to what that experience was like for you personally? Um, it was emotional. You know, I lost a couple of good friends while we were over there. There's times where you go out and you don't know whether you're coming back. And the job that we did was a very high, highly dangerous job. Um, we did uh, route clearance, which is you, you drive down the road and you're looking for roadside bombs. Um, you do that day in and day out. And a lot of things that I've seen while I was over there, I still struggle with. I have my nightmares, and um, sometimes I have flashbacks and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I think those things. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing those things, and and obviously, I'm sure that there's many listeners on the show that are very appreciative for your service, and and you know, I think it's something that a lot of people can't grasp or comprehend, and I know for a lot of guys that come out of service, one of the challenges is integration. And I'm curious if you can just give the listeners a little bit more context to to post-military and and the challenges of integrating back into society and, you know, coming back to, uh, you know, this new marriage and what life was like when you did come out of the military and come back to this new marriage with with that weight inside of you? Uh, it was difficult. Um, I came back. I was very standoffish. I was a very closed person. I kept to myself a lot. I didn't venture out to many places. You know, I avoided places that were that had large crowds, loud noises, abrupt loud noises all were an issue. And just being able to not do things and be able to go out and enjoy life was just tough because if she would want to go out and do stuff, I'd always tell her, well, no, we're not doing that because of my own issues. You know, going to places, having to be seated in, you know, certain places because I need to see everything in front of me. Stuff like that was, was difficult because it created hassles and it was a struggle for a while. What were some of the fears that inevitably came up for you, um, you know, post-military? You're, you're talking about needing to be seated in certain places to be able to see everything and worried about large crowds. What were some of the, the fears that you would feel? Was it emotional? Was it, was it mental? Was it just in the thoughts? Like, what were some of the challenges uh, that you experienced? Um, it wasn't so much emotional. It was just, you know, the, the needing to know where everything was and being very hypervigilant at the time and just wanting to know my surroundings very well. Got it. Okay. So it was more a point of like awareness and, and attention. How did this start to, uh, how did this, you know, these challenges start to impact the marriage from what you saw? Um, those things didn't really impact the marriage, you know, like she was very understanding about stuff like that. So the, the, 
the PTSD didn't really affect the marriage. It was more of my own self stepping out of the marriage a time or two um, that caused problems. Did she did she eventually find out that you had been unfaithful and stepping out of the marriage? She had, yes. Okay. And was that something that you had brought forward or did she find something? Um, she had gone through my phone and she found a few things and I eventually I just admitted up to it and we went on from there and Okay. And what was the what was the process there of being able to work through some of those things? Like what came up for you in terms of you know, did you feel ashamed of the actions and, and how did that, how did that play out of trying to sort of rectify what had happened between you and her and how did she take it? Uh, she took it very hard at first. Um, we talked about it. We sat down, we started seeing a, a counselor and stuff and I had to be more open to her and allow her, you know, just into more of my private life, um, as she should have been from the beginning. And I just, tried to make a promise to her that it would never happen again. Mm-hmm. And um, when you say when you say that you had to let her a little bit more into your private life, which is how it should have been from the beginning, what what does that mean for you? Um, like just opening up, you know, like obviously, you know, now day and age with technology and stuff, you know, the phone was a big issue and um I was very secretive with my phone and uh my whereabouts and stuff like that. Got it. So it was just a little bit more about some of the some of the pieces that you were doing, and what about who what about who you were, and some of your experiences. Were you able to more openly share some of those pieces? And if so, what do you feel like you had been withholding before? Um, I wouldn't say about opening myself up. I was very open with her about who I was. Okay, good. And did that shift at all after she found out? Um, I think at the time it may have brought us closer. Um, we started talking more, we started being more open with each other, you know, um, about feelings and how we were feeling at times. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing is that after, you know, after, um, infidelity can sometimes, depending on the situation, uh, it could sometimes lead people closer together because they are communicating and talking about this, some of the things that they maybe weren't sharing before. So again, just from your perspective, you know, it sounds kind of clear as to why you had gone down this path of of infidelity. So, but maybe just give the listeners a little bit more context. So, you had this individual in your life, uh, this other man who was was he a mentor for you at the time, or how how would you describe his role? Um, we were best friends in high school, and when I came out, you know, he gave me a job right away, and he kind of just took me in. It was helpful, you know. He he showed up when I needed somebody, I needed a job, and he gave me one, and it just kind of fell back into the old relationship when we were in high school. We were just two young kids going out and doing whatever we wanted. Okay, and so some of that felt, like, how did how did that feel to just be able to reconnect with someone from high school and, and start to just being, being in the space of, like, reliving some of that high school freedom? I mean, at the time, it felt good. Um, you know, not realizing who I was hurting. And at a time, it didn't really matter to me. I was kind of just living my life. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And was there any moral challenges? Like when you saw him being unfaithful in his relationship, and then, you know, you looked at yours, and you you eventually went down that path. Was there a reason or a catalyst that led you towards being unfaithful as well? Um, I think it was just, you know, just trying to fit in with him again. 
Okay. All right. And so it's just trying to like find your place back in society after this like reintegration process of, of coming back from the military, having this like whole new life and then trying to figure out what was next. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what, what sort of led towards the end of the marriage? Cause it sounds like the, the infidelity happened a few years ago, would you say? Uh, for me, that was 2012. So yeah, about seven years now for myself. Okay. Towards the end of the marriage, there was a lot of fights and come to find out, um, she was seeing somebody else. Okay. And do you know how long she was seeing someone else? Um, he had been in the picture for about a year from what I had seen, um, not in an intimate way, just because, um, you know, through where she worked, uh, he was there. Um, and then I found out that before I had found out she was seeing him, that it had been probably a month or two. Okay. All right. And was this something that, that again, that she brought forward? Or was this something that you found out? Uh, it was something that I found out. I had my doubts and at the time she had said that she needed a break and she just didn't want to do it and she needed to see what she wanted in life and so I was like yeah all right I guess um and then come to find out I had found on the phone bill a couple of numbers that were they were what is it they're like block numbers um, mm-hmm. so I got skeptical and I got curious and I went on to one of her social media platforms and found out all their messages between each other. Got it. Okay. What was, what was it like being on the, the other side of the infidelity for you? Uh, it sucked. It was, it was rough. Yeah. Where, um, where did your mind go? Um, anger, sadness, and then it went back to, you know, well, it's probably exactly how she felt when she found out. Right. And what were some of the internal thoughts about that? Like, did you feel a sense of, yeah, I mean, maybe just, maybe just unpack that a little bit for us. Um, I kind of got a sense of, you know, I got a taste of my own medicine, seeing what she went through and it was me on the giving in and you know, I, was, I was hurt and I was very angry. Um, but mm-hmm. I could kind of see time frame leading up to it there's a lot of fights and there's just no communication and i kind of see why it went down that road can you tell me a little bit more you know you had mentioned before that there were you know not only a lot of fights leading up to and arguments leading up to this um you know infidelity on her part and and the and the divorce but even before that, you had said that there was, you know, quite a few arguments. What was the general argument? Like, what was the stuff, the sort of details and meat and potatoes of what, what you two would fight, fight about? Um, we would argue over money, just who takes care of more of the house. Um, we do have two children, and a lot of arguments would be over. She would think that she does more around here, and she would think that, you know, I wasn't pulling my weight, and I would feel the same way about her. Yeah, you're you're basically um you're basically talking about the uh, everyday fights of almost every single couple. I think <laughs> money, <laughs> money, who does more around the home, <laughs> right? How to take care of the kids? Who's, yeah. who's doing more chores? Who's raising the kids more? Uh, any anything else? Anything else in there that that you remember? That that was really the big the brunt of it, 
it just kind of piled on and piled on to where we just wouldn't talk anymore. What were the arguments about money? Um, so we had bought a house a couple of years ago and money gets tight here and there, but I would feel like she wasn't contributing enough. You know, she had a job and stuff. And I just, I feel like every time that the bill would come up, cause we had agreed, you know, we would split things and we'd be 50, 50 on everything. I, I feel like I was pulling more weight than she was. Hmm. Month to month, I'd be paying more and more of the bills. And then next thing I know, she's coming home with a new purse. Mm-hmm. And did the agreement ever change? It sounds like the agreement in the very beginning of the relationship started off with, hey, we're both going to split this, you know, our expenses 50-50. You get married, you have a, a home, you start having kids. And... uh Maybe, do you mind, like, again, all this is anonymous, but do you mind from a, a financial perspective sharing um, not how much you were making, but who uh, who was making more? And did that ever become a problem? Um, so I make more, but I was making more. And I was also, I also received VA disability. Hmm. And the VA disability covers 90% of the mortgage. And then the other bills were would come out of our paychecks. Mm-hmm. And I would, I make more than she does, but our bills weren't really that much. So, so was he, was there an agreement in place of how things would look or, or how did that show up? Oh, there was, we would, we said, you know, bills, we would split, you know, 50, 50. She had a credit card. I had a credit card. She paid her mm-hmm. credit card. She paid her car. Um, she paid her insurance and stuff like that. Um, but like cell phone, like internet and TV, the electric bill, we split. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, the reason why I'm asking you for all these details is because this is such a common thing that couples fight about, right? Like so many couples argue about, you know, who's paying what's and what's fair and, you know, based on who makes, who makes more and it's not even like a, a man woman thing. I think it's something like forty five percent of women are the uh, are the the uh, main income earner or the quote unquote breadwinner of the home now. And so it's not even about man versus woman, but a lot of couples have these arguments. And so where did you where did these arguments go? Did you feel like there was ever a resolution, or what what happened? We would come to a resolution where she'd be like, you know, you're right, you know, and. A month or two would go by and it would be 50-50 and then it would go back to the same rut that we were in where I'd be again covering more and next thing I know she's coming home and new stuff. Yeah. Okay. And did you feel like you were able to set boundaries with her? Did you feel like you were able to really voice that that you like did you feel disrespected when, when she would say that she was gonna do this and then she didn't? Um I would say disrespected in a way and it just it happened time and time again where we would talk about things and talk about things and things would change for the better for you know a couple of months at a time and then they'd fall right back to the same rut where we were having the same conversation right and what did that what did that signal to you like how did you take that um i just took it as you know she was like all right well i'll make them happy for for this long and then she would get comfortable again and go right back into the the old ways what would you have preferred in that situation? Like if she had come and talked to you and said, hey, like I can't afford to pay 50% of X, Y, and Z, um, 
you know, here's, here's what I would, here's what I can do. How would that have gone for you? I think it's sure to come and talk to me and, and actually mean it and say, you know, I can't afford to pay this bill or that bill. And then I cover it and not be going out and just buying stuff for herself because if she's buying stuff for herself, then obviously she has the money to pay her bill. And did you two ever ever considered joining finances? And 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 if not, what was the what was the concern there? Uh, I didn't want to because I just I knew how her spending habits were, and I didn't want to have my money in the same pot that she has. And she's like, oh, I got all this extra money, I can just take that and go buy this stuff. Yeah, and so there, it it sounds a little bit like there was a lack of boundaries around money and and agreements around where money is getting spent. Is that, does that sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think this, you know, it's, it's really a big one. And the reason why I'm pausing here is that and sort of, um, you know, just landing something is that this is a very common one. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm also going to just tie this in quickly for, you know, in, into, into just a little bit of, of the self-worth piece, which is what we're talking about is that, you know, when we feel like there's a lack of self-worth in some way, we don't set these boundaries, right? Like we actually don't honor ourselves enough or have that sort of deep-rooted self-respect enough to be able to say, hey, this is a boundary for me and it can't continue and it can't carry on. But also on your wife's side, there's also a lack of self-worth, right? Because she's not honoring herself enough to be able to come to you and and be strong enough to be able to, to, be able to say, hey, uh, I, I feel like crap about this. I don't feel good about this, but I feel like I'm not making enough money to be able to contribute 50, 50 in the way that you need. And that sucks, right? That's hard. And I'm sure that she had insecurity around that, but, but that also is a sign of lacking self-worth because when, you know, when we have that self-worth in place, we're able to just say, Hey, this is where, this is where I'm at. Fundamentally, this is where I'm at. And then it's up to you because that's a sign of self-respect, right, on her part, but it's also a sign of mutual respect. And I would imagine that if she came to you and said, hey, listen, I just don't have the money to cover this bill, or, you know, I can't do 50%, it's really stretching me thin, but I can do 40% of, you know, the monthly, the monthly costs of our lives and our relationship, is it okay with you? Would you have felt respected in that conversation enough to, to be able to negotiate in that? I would definitely feel comfortable to negotiate on that. It's just my problem was always when she would come to me and say, I can't afford this bill. And then a couple of days later, you know, she's going out and buying stuff that she could use the money for bills. And it's just, I felt kind of taken advantage of in that sense. Yeah. And were, were you able to bring that forward ever? Or how did that, like, how did that land for you? Uh, I would tell her that and she would, you know, like I said, she would be like, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. And and then next couple of months, it would be fine. And we'd be back, you know, on track. And then a couple months later, it's, hey, I don't have the money for this, but I have the money to go out and buy X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, this is so, this is so important because you can sort of see the lack of self-worth on her side as well, the insecurity. And, and I'm not saying this in an attacking way. I'm just saying you can see how the, the sort of self-worth and and we could almost even relabel self-worth as 
uh, self-trust, right? We build self-worth. The act of, of, of feeling worthy is, is by being able to trust ourselves to make good choices and decisions and to honor what's true for us. And so what's, if what's true for us is uh, I can only do 40% because I want to be able to have spending money, right? It sounds like she wanted to have some spending money to go buy herself a purse and stuff like that every once in a while, which is, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, but, but you can see that there's an insecurity or a lack of self-worth because she's not bringing that forward, right? She's not saying, Hey, I can only do 40% because it stretches me thin and I want to be able to enjoy some of this, you know, some of my earning. I want to be able to go buy some clothes and a purse and whatnot. And so is it okay that I take 10% to like really treat myself and that'll make me feel good and then I'll be, you know, happier at home and et cetera, et cetera. And I'll be able to X, Y, and Z. And you would have been like, yeah, of course, why not? And that would leave you feeling honored. It would leave you feeling respected. It would allow your uh, sort of sense of trust in the relationship and the openness of the communication, the relationship to flourish. And, and she's honoring what she needs. So if that had been the case, how would that have left you feeling? Um, I would have felt better about it. Um, you know, she was just you know, honest with me. And you know, so you're saying, you know, like, no, I can't pay this much, but I also need a little bit for myself to go out and do something of my own instead of just sitting and saying all the time that, you know, oh, I don't have the money for bills. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a challenge. And so we can see how self-worth impacts our communication, right? It impacts us bringing forward and being able to communicate some of the things that are actually really important to us. And and when I say some of the things that are really important to us, what I actually mean is our needs, right? Like when we are able to bring forward our needs in this way, we reinforce our self-worth. But the less that we bring our needs forward, the more that we diminish our self-worth, right? It's like a it's just a, a, a sort of like a sliding scale, right? So the more that you withhold your needs, the less worthy you actually feel in that relationship. And so, so I'm curious to hear where else you feel like you withheld your needs in that relationship in your marriage. Um, yeah, honestly, our, our intimate life wasn't the greatest either. And I feel like that caused some problems as well. Um, okay. Can you maybe just elaborate a little bit more on, on what that means? Um, you know, I, I, I don't mean this is like the chauvinistic way, but you know, I'm a guy and I have my needs and I feel like I tell her like, and we will go sometimes months without being intimate. And I would tell her this and she just, you know, again, things would change for a couple of weeks and it would be really good. And then it would go back to every couple of weeks to a month. So that's that's good. You know, it sounds like you recognized, hey, like this this isn't working for me, right? This pattern of uh, us having sex maybe once a month or once every two months or whatever it is, that's not really workable for me. I want to feel more connected to you because I'm attracted to you and you're my wife. Um, so, you know, I think it's a very natural response, yeah. <laughs> right? Um and maybe just give me some context, like when, uh, when intimacy wasn't present, what was the impact on you? How how did you feel about the relationship, and and how did you feel personally? Uh, personally, I felt like you know I wasn't you know good looking enough. I've always had a 
I've always been self-conscious about myself. And I feel like it would be my looks that, you know, she didn't want or mm. that, you know, I just wasn't good enough in bed. Yeah. And did you ever bring that forward? Did you ever ask, ask her if you, you know, if she didn't find you attractive enough or, or if that she wasn't happy with the sex that you were having? I mean, I've asked her if she was happy with it and she would always say yes. And I don't know if she was just trying to you know, spare my feelings or anything. I mean, it was always enjoyable and she seemed to be, you know, and she seemed to enjoy it. Um, as far as, you know, whether I'm good looking enough, I never really brought that up. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, you know, I guess we could just say like the insecurity that that the sex wasn't enjoyable for her was was present for you. And that and that was present for you mostly because of of what? Um, I mean, cause it wasn't for a lack of me trying to be intimate with her, trying to have sex with her. Um, it just every time I would try, I'd always just get kind of turned away. Okay, yeah. So I would imagine that there was like a a bit of rejection there as well, right? Just like feeling rejected from her and and what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how did how did this part impact your self worth? Um, it just it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. Yeah. Okay. And you know, I think the interesting thing from what you're saying, I'm just going to pause here again and and just sort of talk about what a lot of guys experience because you are fundamentally not alone in this. I've seen this hundreds and hundreds of times with so many men that I work with. Is that when there is a rejection of intimacy, specifically physical and sexual intimacy, that the impact on them is that they feel like it is, uh, it's a, it's almost like a, <laughs> it's almost like a groin shot to the self-worth, you know, <laughs> it's like the only, <laughs> does that land with you? Yeah. 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 It's kind of like a groin shot to the self-worth. Cause you're like, Oh, I really want to connect with you in an intimate and physical way and I'm being vulnerable to put it out there and you're rejecting it and I feel like my sense of self-worth is taking a hit, you know, because I'm like, I'm supposed to be this person that, you know, I think, I think largely because we as men are very performance-based, right? And so if we're getting rejected, it's like, oh, our performance, there's something wrong with our performance and our ability to like please you and make you happy. Does that, does that land for you? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And okay. So, so that would happen. And, you know, you'd feel a little bit of that rejection. What does rejection usually feel like for you? If you could describe that sort of sensation within your body? Um, like, what do you mean? It's like what that would feel like? Well, like when you feel rejected, do you get like a, a pit in your stomach? Do you feel like your chest collapse in? Do you, do you feel like, because every, every guy experiences rejection a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I mean, like the, the pit in the stomach, it's just kind of like it sucks. And it's like, you just, I, you just, I don't feel good about myself when I get rejected. Yeah. And then after the rejection would happen, how would you deal with that? Did you, did you, like, how did you cope with the rejection? Did you numb out? Were you, you know, did you go feel it? Like, what did you, what happened usually after that? Um, I would just get cold and quiet and wouldn't talk to her and. I just keep to myself. Okay. So there's a little bit of like shutting down and starting to almost like protect yourself emotionally. It sounds like. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And did, could she ever tell that you were feeling that way? Um, I don't think she would tell. I mean, she would know that like I'm upset. But she would really never ask why. Okay. So she could kind of tell that you were upset, but she didn't sort of like come over and say, Hey, 
I can, you know, it seems like something's off. How are you feeling? Uh, no, she wouldn't. Okay. And, and if she were to come and address you in that way and come and like, see what's going on. Cause you can kind of tell, I, I always joke around that like women do have a, like a sixth sense, like they can like smell our emotions somehow <laughs> or just like feel, feel into them. It's like, they have this ability that they just know what's going on inside of our experience oftentimes before, before we do. But, uh, well, that's not necessarily true because I think a lot of men are actually very in touch with their emotions. Um, but I think women can real time feel into our emotions almost as well as we can. And because again, you know, no one can feel into our emotions more than us. But, um, but if she, you know, when she could tell that you were feeling that way and she could kind of sense it, how would you have liked her to come in and actually speak with you and connect with you and and sort of repair that what what had happened because it sounds like a terror had sort of happened in the relationship so how would you have liked her to come and repair that with you honestly i really i don't have like a good answer for that question because you know, when i do shut down i was always very i was an angry person so i would just kind of get mad at her and just kind of tell her to go away yeah that probably didn't happen in like a a super nice way, right? No, no. Um, how how did it usually come out? Um, it would, you know, be yelling, and I just kind of tell her to get the up away from me because um, I just, yeah, I don't want to be near. Her. Yeah, can you say fuck? Can you just say the whole thing? Oh, I can say that. I don't know if I could on your show. Yep, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, so, so you would go ahead. Yeah, I'd just tell her to get the fuck away from me and. Yeah, and and after that, say after saying that, how you felt was what? Still angry, um, sad. What was the anger saying? Like, what was it about? Um, I was just angry because I was like, you know, I try and try and try, and then it's like I, I do all these things to try and you know be with her and be intimate with her, and I just get pushed away. Yeah, and then what was the what was the sadness about? What was it trying to say? Uh, it was just you know it was telling me that. You know, like what, why am I not good enough? Like, what am I not doing? Yeah. Yeah. And so you can hear that the, you know, sadness is really a part of creating our lack of self-worth, right? Like when we feel sad, that voice is usually the part that is, is diminishing our sense of self-worth, right? Why am I not enough? How come, like, it's almost like, why are you rejecting me? You know, I'm, I'm wanting to be close to you. I'm wanting to feel connected to you. And here's this, all you know, here's this rejection, and there's a ton of sadness that goes along with that. That then causes us to question our our sense of self worth. And you know what I've seen quite a bit, and I'm I'm curious if this has been your experience, is that with men, usually when sadness comes up, anger is also a very is very quick to be there to sort of protect us from that experience of sadness. But even more specifically, like having our partner see that we're sad. Does that resonate? Yeah, it does. How did you see that show up for you personally? Like, what would that process look like? Um, you know, so I would get sad, and then, you know, even if she did come and try and talk to me, I would just show her anger and push her away. Yeah, but that's not that's not exactly how you wanted to act, though, right? No. Yeah, so what what did it look like in that situation? What? How would you have liked to have been acting? Uh, I would like to just, you know, be open and, and talk to her about it. Yeah. Um, we have a, I guess, adult conversation instead of acting like a child and throwing an angry fit. You know, the interesting thing 
<laughs> the interesting thing in this is that when we, if you were, if you were sitting in front of me at like a men's week, and I'd probably say, this is probably something that you should write down, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when we are rejected, the way out of feeling the sadness and the shame and the anger of that rejection is that we have to face rejection again. We have to be vulnerable enough to put ourselves in the situation to face rejection. And what I mean by that is in this experience, you know, what, what happened was you went to her, you wanted to connect through intimacy, you wanted to get, you know, be physical, and she rejects you. And you feel sad because you're like, well, is, is it me? Like, am I not feeling like, am I not enough for you? And then the anger comes to sort of prevent, you know, us from like really feeling that sadness because that's how, you know, many people are hardwired, men and women alike. Uh, and then, you know, and then she can kind of tell that you're off, but she doesn't come to you and sort of ask what's going on. And you don't, you know, open to her to say, hey, that that actually hurt. I feel rejected by that. And, and I like, is something wrong with me? Or are you not wanting intimacy right now? And, and so we have to put ourselves back into that space of being able to face the vulnerability of rejection again. And I think, you know, there's this uh, incredible uh, woman, Brene Brown, she says vulnerability and courage can't exist independently of each other, right? They need one another. So in order to be courageous enough to sort of break this cycle of being rejected and starting to like really have your needs met and, and speak your needs, right? Because the more you speak your needs, the more that your self-worth goes up. Because the more that you can bring people into your life that are going to be able to give you those things. And so, uh, so, but that requires you to be able to face the vulnerability of rejection, right? And what's the thought of that like? Uh, being able to face rejection again? Yeah, in that moment and being able to sort of say, hey, like that actually made me feel rejected. Um, it's tough. Um, you know, once one thing happens, I, I generally don't like to go through it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and maybe just describe a little bit of like why why is it so tough? Ah, just scared of being rejected again. It's kind of like you put your hand on a hot stove and you don't want to do it again. Yeah, and what's the threat of like sharing uh, emotionally that you felt rejected by that? Um, just you know, you're putting yourself out there and just afraid of getting hurt again. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's almost like it's easier to just shut down. And, you know, I think the clinical version is calling it stonewalling, right? It's like it's easier to stonewall and shut down and protect ourselves than it is to risk being vulnerable again because we've just been vulnerable by by sort of trying to ask for intimacy. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. And how is any of this showing up in your current relationship? Uh, it, it does to a point, um, you know, because I, I, I'm afraid to put myself out there completely to her. It's hard for me to open up, you know, my entire self to her, just because of what happened in the past. I'm afraid to put it all out there, just for it to kind of get stepped on again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can you can see that like the anger is there to try and protect you, and and here's the thing is that what I want, what I really want you to know is that when that happens the way out is being able to kind of double down. You know, it's almost like if you're playing poker 
and you pushed, you know, you pushed half your chips in before and you lost and you're like, oh shit, like that, that really stung and it stings the confidence and it stings, you know, the sense of self-worth and it makes you question your decisions and like, you know, all that kind of happens. But when that happens, when we, you know, really go for intimacy with our partner, especially sexual intimacy, and they turn us down and we feel rejected and hurt by that, you know, we need to gather ourselves and we need to be able to feel into and understand what's happening so that the anger doesn't sort of take over and we go and yell at them and like, you know, screw you for not, you know, for for not wanting to have sex with me. But we can see that there's anger and sadness there and we can double down on being able to risk vulnerability again, risk being hurt again, and actually say, hey, I actually feel rejected by that. And is, you know, is there a reason why you don't actually want to have intimacy right now? And how do you feel like she would respond to that? I think she'd be okay with you to talk about it. Yeah. All right. And what's, what's, do you have any concerns about it? Uh, with her, I don't. Okay. But with your ex-wife? I had concerns. Um, you know, this new relationship is completely different than in the past. I've, I'm much happier with the person I am when I'm with her. And I feel like I can talk to her about problems more. Because I'd always just mm-hmm. keep my problems to myself. And, you know, my problems were always my problems. Right. And, you know, my new relationship, she had told me, and it's, it's one of the big things that, that helped was she said, you know, it's not you versus me or me versus you. It's you and I versus the problem. And that has mm. helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. How come? What has that done for you? Uh, it just shows that, you know, I'm not alone in, you know, what we're going through. I'm not alone in what I'm going through and that we're actually a team in things and not just individuals. Yeah. I, I would imagine that that feels you know, pretty reassuring, especially after, you know, team, especially in the army and the military, you know, being, being part of the team is so crucial. And I think for a lot of us as men, that's so true, you know, growing up playing hockey, growing up playing football or baseball or basketball, like we are usually, especially I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of this with guys that grew up in team environments is that they really want a partner who is going to be their teammate. And I think the great thing about that is is that with our teammates, we're really open. You know, like the really high level athletes that are a team together, they know everything about one another simply because that's what it takes. Because then they're not competing with each other. They they are a unit that is competing against other teams. You know, and I think that a lot of men that get into relationships that are looking for like really great love. Cause I would imagine that you didn't get married, not wanting a great relationship. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that a lot of men that are looking for really great love, they are looking for someone who can kind of be their teammate and who can really, they can be open with, but who can also challenge them, you know, cause I think that that's a really important piece. And Maybe let me just ask you this. Do you feel like your new partner can challenge you a little bit to grow and be better and and sort of be the version of yourself that you know you're capable of? Absolutely. Yeah. And did you trust your other partner to do that? No, not at all. Um, you know, yeah. With my previous partner, you know, uh, I was, you know, I gained a lot of weight when I got out of the military. And I told her, I was like, I really got to get this in check because my health was 
declining. Um, you know, I, I went from being 230 pounds to being 302 pounds within the span of a year. And trying to come down from that, I was like, you know, I need help, you know, with you know, what I'm eating. And I know like, it's, it's mainly my process, but, you know, just to help being there, the support. And then every other, every other weekend, it was, oh, let's go out and get something to eat. And I'd be like, well, no. And she would fight me on it until I just gave in and we went out to eat. The new relationship, um, she's also very uh, fitness-minded, uh, helps when, you know, if I miss, you know, meal prep for a couple of days, she'll help me cook. Um, she mm-hmm. pushes me to go to the gym. She pushes me harder in the gym. So it's just, it's, she pushes me to be a better person of who I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful, man. I, I couldn't have said it any better. And I think that's such an important piece and finding that balance is a, is a huge thing. And I think what you're describing, which is really helpful, is that when you ask for your needs, uh, you feel like you're more in a team in your relationship, but also when your partner is able to set boundaries with you and she's also able to ask for what she needs openly and you have that open communication that she can provide you with those things but then she can also communicate what she really needs and lastly like being able to challenge you is a is a hugely important piece and you know i think just going back to the the sense of self-worth how have you seen yourself worth grown simply because the relationship dynamic is is this way um, my self-worth has grown, you know, I'm, I'm more of an outgoing person. You know, before I wasn't a very, I wasn't open to meeting new people. I wasn't open to, you know, socializing with a lot of people. Um, and with the new relationship, she has a lot of friends and, you know, they go out and they do a lot of stuff. It's kind of forced me to go out and and socialize and do things that I'm not, used to doing or I would shy away from because that's just not what I want to do. But with, yeah. you know, going out and being around her friends, it, it kind of forces me to come out of my shell a little bit and, you know, show who I truly am and I'm, I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And I, I, you're really like landing the plane in such a beautiful way, right? Cause you're really describing the process of leveling up your self-worth, right? The actual process of leveling up your own self-worth is by putting yourself in those uncomfortable positions of, I would imagine that you've had to be a little bit uh, vulnerable from the sense of, you know, she's challenging you, she's setting boundaries with you, you're having to expand your edge, right? You have to go outside of your comfort zone because you're like, okay, this woman is living life and she's living her life and she's not living her life for me. She's just like, she's got great boundaries, got great friends. She's like going out on town, and she's kind of pushing me to expand as well. She's challenging me a little bit to get out of my comfort zone in a healthy way. And what that's providing me with is this uh, reminder that in order to cultivate self-worth, we have to risk, you know, we have to risk rejection. We have to risk embarrassment. We have to risk getting it wrong. We have to risk being in an uncomfortable social situation or going to a new gym with new people and like meeting those people and risk in a new way in a relationship. And it sounds like that's what's really elevating the relationship that you're in right now is that you you feel like you have the capacity to do that. So, you know, I think it's really important because 
the more that you are able to level up in self-worth and how you level up in self-worth, again, is by expressing your needs, the more confident you'll actually feel in that relationship. And, and the more balanced you'll be with your partner and with your partner's ability to like really understand what your needs are. So, you know, I, I think you've really outlined beautifully what it's like to, uh, to be able to level up your, your sense of self-worth and, and cultivate that resiliency. Um, I'm curious, uh, what, what else has led to that? Like what impacted your sense of self-worth if you had to label it as a child? You know, my sister, my middle sister, she was always kind of like the golden child, uh, where she got, you know, the straight A's and, you know, she went to the really good college. And for me, I wasn't very good at the whole book knowledge. I was never good at that. Um, and, and thankfully the high school I went to was a trade school. And I think that if it wasn't for the trade school, then I probably would have never graduated high school, but I was always, like, I was pushed a little bit to be better, but I was never really pushed to be the best person I could be. Um, you know, for me, C's and, and D's were passing. And after a while that became you know, okay. Like, I was like, okay, you know, he's passing. He's, he's getting through. Yeah. Did that show up in the military at all of, of just kind of getting through or were you forced into an environment where you really had to show up and you were challenged and pushed? Uh, I was definitely challenged and pushed. And, you know, I played a lot of sports when I was a kid and I always pushed myself doing the sports. And I pushed myself, you know, when I got into the military, I, I pushed myself really hard and, and pushed through basic training and stuff like that. And I kind of had to find myself and push myself to get to the end. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that pushing yourself is an, an incredibly important thing, right? If you didn't learn it as a kid, if it wasn't provided for you at school, if you're, you know, it didn't sound like your, your parents pushed you and, and this isn't a knock on them, right? This isn't, this isn't to attack them at all. It's just to say that they didn't push you to your edge, to your capacity to, to be able to really hold you accountable to producing good results. And so there's sort of like this part of you that doesn't feel good about that. Cause it's like, well, what could I have accomplished? You know, it's like, I know I was a smart kid and all I needed was a little bit more regimented discipline, maybe from my parents to be able to teach me that. And it sounds like, you know, even in the military, you started to learn that and you started to learn how to be disciplined. But then after you left the military, what happened to that discipline? Uh, I think it was just because I was so used to, you know, the structure of the military and it was just, you know, you got to be here at this time. You know, everything was just so structured and then transitioning out, it was just a free fall. Yeah. And I think, you know, that the interesting thing that you're describing is, you know, you, you talked about battling with some PTSD after after that but the lack of the the structure and and this is a really common thing right like what we're really talking about if we back the the sort of lens up a little bit into the you know psychological atmosphere what we're really talking about is that you at at some point got that got that structure right you didn't have it as a kid didn't really know where it was going to come from went into the military got the structure became very disciplined how did that feel while you were in the military to have that type of discipline and structure? Um, it, it felt good. And 
the way, I mean, my father kind of told my mother, he said it best. He was like, you know, the military did something for me that them as parents couldn't do. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like an initiation, right? So, you know, because for boys, for young boys, our initiation is the initiation into discipline, how to be trained in the art of discipline. It's like the only, it's really, and like, I wish every single man and woman could learn this, could like really hear this. The initiation that boys need to go through is simply the initiation into discipline. It's the only thing that we as boys really need to learn. Because when we have that discipline, we feel more empowered, we feel more confident, we feel more active, and and every part of us uh, is is really functional. We also need to have discipline within our emotional intelligence <laughs> and our ability to express our emotions. It's not just in our ability to perform at work or at our job or whatever it is, but we need to be able to cultivate that discipline. I think... The other piece that's really interesting about your story is that when you came out and you were lacking that discipline, you know, it almost sounds like it created a bit of depression, you know, of like, oh, I don't feel self-regulated enough to actually hold myself accountable. Does that sound accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe tell me a little bit about what what that, uh, you know, depressive state kind of felt like of not having that discipline anymore. What did that sound like? Uh, what did that feel like? I just, I felt all over the place. I felt, you know, like cause in the military, it's, you're told, you know, you're, you have formation at, at six o'clock and now it's just, right, we'll be at work for nine and you have no idea what you're going to do. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, well, where, where did everything go? It's kind of like, you know, it's a safety net of, okay, I know what I'm doing today. I know what's going on to not really know it. Yeah. And it's how you're describing this is, I wish you weren't anonymous a little bit because you're, you're really unpacking some great stuff in your, in your story, right? Because how, you know, how you're describing this, it really describes the, the process of what so many men go through when they transition out of their job, right? They transition out of their you know, corporate job or their, you know, real estate job or whatever the job they've been working and they're thinking about transitioning or they retire. You know, so many men experience the same feeling that you're experiencing when they retire. And and all of a sudden they're left with not knowing what to do next. And it's largely because that discipline that we have within our job and career, because we know what to expect, or the discipline that we have within a relationship you know, we, when we lose that and we transition out of it, it creates this vacancy of structure and order. And all of a sudden, all we're left with is just an immense amount of chaos. You know, you, you, you kind of described that really well. You said, you know, I got out of that structure and all of a sudden I had all of this chaos and, and disorder and I, I felt disorganized. So how did that show up within your, within your thoughts and maybe within your emotions as well? How did you deal with that emotionally? Um, you know, I felt lost coming out. I was just, I was, I've always been an angry individual, uh, growing up as an angry child. I've seen many anger, um, therapy people and, you know, even in the military. How's that, how's that gone by the way? How's the anger therapy going? Um, it, it's going, it's gone very well. I, the last time I seen somebody was a couple of years ago. I've kind of been learning to keep it under control. And I, I've realized since the last relationship ended, 
I'm not as angry as a person. Um, yeah. I'm a much. What do you think is just based on what we've been talking about? What do you think has caused that shift for you personally? You know, just the toxicity of, of the previous relationship. And then when I met my new partner, um, it's always, everything's just been happy and, and there's no arguments. There's, there's no fights. I mean, we have our little things here and there, um, that we talk about, you know, and I've, I've learned to enjoy time with my kids better and just enjoy, you know, life a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And what's opened up for you emotionally from the sense of like, what do you get to enjoy more? Cause it actually, yeah, I can hear your tone shift in that, right? It sounds like you get to actually have like a little bit more joy in your life. So what's made possible by this shift? Um, you know, I get to enjoy my kids more, you know, I'm doing different things, you know, things that they want to do. You know, like, like my daughter, she, she just got her hair colored and she loves the fish. I've been doing a lot more fishing with the kids a lot more. So it definitely helps. Um, my son is into Pokemon. Um, so I found a place, yeah. you know, that they actually have the actual card game going on. And we go and we do that on Sundays. And I'm just, I'm enjoying time more. Yeah. And I think that's really the key. You know, at the very beginning of this, we talked about how do you build self-worth and how we build self-worth if there was a sort of like word word-based equation, you know, formula, it would be that we express our needs vulnerably, vulnerably, and it creates resiliency. And most importantly, it builds our self-worth, right? The more that we do those things, the more that we say, hey, this is what I need right now. I, I need to be challenged. I need to open up and, and express my wants and desires. And, you know, you, you can see that with the example uh, with your ex-wife, right? Not expressing those things caused more chaos and it causes an uh, impact on your sense of self-worth because every time it happens and you don't turn back to her and say, hey, you know, I really feel rejected and I, and I need to like sort out why. And it doesn't mean that, you know, maybe she'll connect emotionally and, it, and it'll make intimacy easier. I think the interesting thing here is that uh, the data statistically shows that like the research shows that when how we react to a no in in sexual initiation, how we react to that no will dictate how well sexual intimacy happens next time. And so it's really interesting, right? Because if you go to your partner and you try and initiate and she turns you down and then you feel rejected and, and angry and, you know, it, it starts to make you question, you know, does she want me? Am I good enough? You know, am I performing okay? Do I look okay? But we don't go talk to our partner about that and talk about the emotional rejection. It creates more distance because then we're angry and we're kind of expecting that to happen next time. And then maybe we start withholding things from our partner. You know, maybe we start withholding love and intimacy and connection. And instead, we can open up and we can say, hey, here's what's real for me. And here's what's true. And I, I feel rejected and hurt by you. And it really sucks. And I feel a lot of anger and I want to shut down. But rather than shutting down and turning away, because I know that doesn't work, because <laughs> I tried that in my last marriage, you know, it's like, I know that doesn't work. Um, I'm going to try this new thing. And you open up and you sort of say that that hurt me. And it doesn't mean that your partner has to 
you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to have sex immediately right after that, but it does mean that it becomes easier next time because she then feels emotionally connected to you, right? You're looking for physical connection and she's probably looking for some emotional connection. And without that emotional connection, she's probably not open to intimacy or maybe in the moment she just didn't want it, you know, for however many number of reasons. But I think the other piece is being able to, and again, this this will this will play into it, is that she probably wasn't asking for what she wanted sexually, right? Like she probably wasn't exploring her own sexual needs. And the sad part is that in most relationships, a lot of women have a huge amount of sexual shame. They feel like they haven't had enough partners. They feel like you know they have a ton of religious shame from their upbringing. They they feel like they don't know what to do. They feel like sex is just for the men. They feel like you know, they're just supposed to make your needs happy, but theirs aren't in the equation. And so women have a huge well of sh sexual shame, um, which I think some men don't really, you know, I know for my, for a lot of years, I never thought about that. Um, it, you know, some women have been sexually abused. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm curious for you, did you, did you ever engage in exploring your ex-wife's sexual desires, what she really wanted to explore, whether it was fantasy or role-playing or power dynamics, you know, submissive and dominance. Did you ever explore what she was really wanting, like bringing toys into the bedroom and stuff? Um, I would ask her, you know, like things that she would want to do and I would try things that she would want mm -hmm. to do. And I mean, we, we've tried all sorts of things. Good. And how did that go? At the time, you know, when it was happening, it was great. And was there a time where that stopped happening? Um, I mean, so like it would, we would talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then we would try a few things, and then it would go back to, you know, like the regular, you know, just sex. And then, you know, we talk about it again, and we try a few more things. It was never just like a consistent process of trying new things. Mm -hmm. How did you feel like you wanted her to, to lead more in bringing forward her sexual desires? Because it, like, it sounds like you would bring it up, and... And she would express what she wanted to do a little bit sexually, and then it would kind of go back to to regular. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because I, I told her, you know, like I want to do things that, that that she wants to do, mm -hmm. and you know, we would it would always be me kind of just you know bringing up suggestions, and then we would try it. Mm -hmm. It would be you know the sex would be really good, and then it would be a while before it happened. Yeah. And how did you find initiating sex went? Like, did she usually initiate sex? Were you waiting for her to do that because you got rejected so much? Or did you take the initiative? Like, how did that show up? There were times where, you know, I would try and try and try. And then I got fed up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait for her to come to me. And then she would come to me. And Yeah. And then, and then that's that's still the feeling of rejection, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so then anger comes up, right? So if you feel like sex hasn't happened for a long time, let's say, let's just create a theoretical two weeks has gone by, you know, you have, you know, tried to get sex uh, out of the relationship and initiate sex. I don't want to say get sex. That's probably not the right way of saying it, but initiating sex from your wife to be able to say, Hey, I want to connect right now sexually. And she's like, Nope. Uh, and then, you know, another week goes by and, you know, you're like, okay, I'm just not going to ask. I'm just going to let her come to me. And she doesn't come to you. 
there's probably still a big amount of rejection there. There is, and then a lot of times, you know, my mind would go, well, if it's not me, then who? Right. Right. Uh, and so then it kind of builds on the insecurities, right? Like you can see it starts to trigger the self-worth because you haven't brought forward what you've been feeling, right? Like what, what your needs are, or even just talking about where she's at and why she's not wanting intimacy. And so you can hear that that creates like this feeling of rejection. And then I would imagine right after that anger comes up and some more, more shutdown. Yeah. Is that where you would feel that sort of like explosive anger and get really mad and yell? Um, yeah. Yeah. It would just all build up, build up, build up. And then, yeah and what were you what were you looking for in there from her like when you were feeling that let's say you know two weeks and goodbye you're clearly angry she can tell that you're angry and what would she normally do would she just come and say like hey what's up like are you are you upset like what would normally happen um she really wouldn't even talk about it until the next time i brought it up and like ask them you know why are we I mean, I have sex and she would just go, well, I just don't feel like it or I'm not, I'm not ever in the mood. Yeah. Do you think that she was scared of your anger? Possibly. That's a very big possibility. Yeah. And if you were to put yourself in her shoes, how, how much bigger are you than her? Um, a, a decent size. Okay. Like, just give me, give me rough estimates here. Um, so when we were together, I was probably about 260, 270, and she was probably about 190, 200. Okay. So there's, there's a pretty big physical difference. How much taller are you than her? Um, about five, six inches. Okay. So you're about five, six inches and let's say 70 to 80 pounds heavier than her. And you are trained military. Right. You know how to, you know how to mess people, uh, <laughs> you know how to mess people up, but you know, you are considerably larger than her yeah. and your, your anger is fairly explosive. And just if you reversed and put yourself in her shoes for a moment, how do you feel like she felt in those moments where you would, you know, break loose? Uh, I can see that. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you were really scared before? Uh, of somebody else? No. Of, you know, situations? Yeah. Yeah. So there was no, like, you mentioned that your father was, you know, had you, your mom and your dad got divorced because he was drunk. He was a drunk. And was he ever abusive to her or you? Uh, he was abusive to my, to my mother um, physically. Um, I've seen him you know, arrested, removed from the home. There was one thing that I remember that I was in the living room and my father had my mother by the throat at the, on the kitchen table uh, with a knife in his hand. And he looked at me and told me to go to my room. Yeah, so you can, you can sort of hear and see that there's a history of like normalizing, right? Like normalizing that level of anger and, and violence on, on your side, you know, because you just saw that as a kid. What what did you feel when you walked into that room and, and saw your, your dad, you know, sort of towering over your mom with a, with a knife in hand, clearly really threatening? Um, I was scared. Yeah. What was the internal dialogue? Like, did you want to save her? Did you want to, like, what happened? Uh, I, I was really kind of just in shock. I just kind of stood there. 
I didn't really know what was going on. I was I was very young at the time. And I just kind of in shock, just didn't know what to do. Yeah. Roughly about how old were you? Uh seven, eight years old. Have you ever processed through that before? Have you ever sort of brought that forward in a like a deep therapeutic way and, and worked through it? No. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I think that's something that should definitely be worked on and and being able to bring that into like a therapeutic environment with with someone I think would be really powerful, mostly because that's a really traumatic experience. If you have two kids, right? Yeah. How old are they? They're seven. Yeah. Okay. Imagine if your your seven year old walked in on you, you know, physically harming your wife and and you know, holding a knife to her. How do you feel like that would impact your kids? I think it would scare the hell out of them. Yeah. What do you think that would do to them psychologically? I think it would probably mess them up pretty good. Yeah. Just from a, a check-in standpoint, like, does that, like, how does that land with you? How do you feel right now just sort of playing, talking about this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of tough. Yeah. Because? Well, I, I don't ever want them to see that. And I know that they've seen a lot of my anger in the past. And I know that they've seen a lot of the fights. And I know that they've seen a lot of the fights where things have been broken and do you feel like there's a, a way to shift in this behavior? I know that since me and my ex have been apart, there, there's been a big change on my side. And I feel like I've grown personally. And I feel like it had to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I still you know, I would recommend that you bring this sort of like scenario that we talked about into a therapeutic setting whether that's, you know, you coming out to a men's weekend or seeking out a counselor, like a therapist to take you through processing that trauma, because that that is a form of trauma. And I think it's important to label that, right? To just be able to label that like, yeah, you had some really traumatic stuff happen at war, man. Like I, I can't imagine what your job was like. And you know, the, the work that you did is some of the hardest in the world and it's incredibly taxing on the nervous system. And so you must be one strong, one strong motherfucker, like truly one really strong man. And I really want you to hear that because to go through those experiences to, you know, to grow up in that environment that you grew up in with that level of sort of abuse and trauma and, and hurt, you know, you like your, your father was clearly, um, you know, you witnessed him hurting your mother continually. And so, and you're, you're still here, you're, you're still in the fight, you know, lesser people, I would imagine have, have not wanted to stay around after seeing some of those things. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I've honestly been one of those, I felt like one of those lesser people that I've wanted to walk away from everything. Yeah, and what what allowed you to stay? My kid. Yeah, what a beautiful reason. How does that land with you? I don't want to go give him a hug right now, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Where do, you, where do you feel that in your body? Oh, uh, right in my chest. Yeah, what does that feel like? Um... It's kind of it's a, it's a warm feeling. 
comforting feeling. What what emotion would you say it is? Happiness. Yeah. Like a joy? A joy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the other piece. You know, we again we're talking about about self-worth and that self-worth piece is largely impacted on our ability, you know, when we express our needs vulnerably and openly, and we start to attract those things into our life, and we spend time with the people that we care about, and we're not blocked with them, you know, we're not shut down, we're actually feeling with them. And, and we actually, when we express our needs, we can, we can have the types of environments that we want. And you can see now that being able to be in that space, you can create so much joy, right? And, and that, the more joy that we feel, the kind of more that we, and the more that we come back to experiences that will create joy, especially when we say yes to opening up and speaking our needs and being vulnerable about them and knowing that sometimes other people are, are not going to agree to it uh, and, that, and that they don't always have to. And other people, you know, our wives, our kids, they can say no and they can reject us and all this can happen. Uh, but being able to open up to people in that way creates that joy and we can connect with them. And, you know, that levels up our sense of self-worth, right? When you feel that joy within you and you think about going to hug your kid and spending time with them and loving them, how do you feel? Happy. Um, I feel better. Yeah. I feel, you know, I feel better about myself, you know, being able to stick around and I just, you know, everything I do is for them and it just makes me feel better as a, as a yeah yeah man and what do you think that that makes possible for them that they can see that it's okay to be happy and that it's okay to go through things that are hard and that you're going to make it through it yeah yeah it's really powerful what is the thought of that and the sort of feeling of that due to yourself sense of self-worth it brings it up it definitely helps yeah you see what we're really talking about right now is your purpose in life right? Like this is your mission. You know, this is a mission and your pain can be your purpose. It doesn't need to be your purpose forever, right? <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> like ho hopefully not. Um, but being able to feel into your pain and acknowledge that it's there and work on it so that we don't pass that down to our kids, right? So that you, you know, you, you sort of talked about it before. You can see how the impact that your father and that environment, that abusive environment that you grew up in, it got passed on to you, you know? And so when you started raising a family, you have huge amounts of anger. You're not too sure how to deal with these incredibly difficult situations that you've just been in. Because my God, like going to Afghanistan and clearing bombs off of roads, that is, you know, that's a traumatic job, right? Like, I don't think that anyone would look at that job and not think, yeah, when I'm in this situation and I have these traumatic things happen to me or my friends and I witness them, that is a traumatic job. And so, you know, you went through all these hard circumstances and to still be here and actively healing yourself through that pain and that trauma. And your kids can see that, like that's a legacy, you know, that's a legacy. Because then you help you not only yourself heal, but you help your children heal because they don't have to grow up in an environment where their father is abusive or yells or can't control his anger or isn't loving or isn't present for them, you know, and they can really feel you there present, talking to them, talking to them about, 
you know, what it's like to the challenges that they're going through as a seven year old in 2019 with the ridiculous of social media, right? (laughs) And like, can you imagine what it's like to be a kid today? Oh, not at all. Right. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit insane, right? Like, what are you worried about for your kids? Um, I mean, at the moment, um, I'm just worried that, you know, the day and age of technology is just going to take over and they're going to lose sight of, you know, actually going outside and playing and enjoying the sunshine. I mean, I've seen my son watch videos of other kids playing with toys. Like, you have your own toys, go play with them. Yeah, you're watching somebody else have, you're watching somebody else have the joy. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they're literally they're literally watching other kids that are engaging in joyous activities or insane activities like, you know, eating Tide Pods oh, and shit. Oh, God. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> so, so here you go. So here you go. Okay, I'm, I'm bringing this back to purpose, right? Here you can see a really clear mission in life. Right. Like if I was your if we were in the military and, I, you know, this this was a you know mil- military operation right now, I'd be like, look, man, like your mission in life is to heal, is to bring some love back into your life, to choose that always and to raise your kids in a way where you don't pass on the hurt and the pain and the abuse that you were given from your parents, from your father, especially. That's the wound that needs to be healed. Does that make sense? Does that sound like a mission? It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. How does that? How does that land for you? Like, how do you feel that? Yeah, I feel like I need to take care of some things, you know, to make my kids' lives better. Hmm. Like what? You know, maybe sorting through some things that happened in the past to change my ways. That way, there I don't repeat the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's the cool thing is that that's kind of like the perfect trilogy, right? Because when you when you're gonna face those things, you are healing yourself, so you're improving your self worth, right? Because you're you're actually, I mean, I don't think I need to explain that one too much. But you, can you see how when you heal these parts of you that improves your self worth? Yeah, yeah, boom. So you can see that by healing this past pain, you can improve your self worth, which is like improving your confidence and and your ability to feel joy and happiness. You. Uh, break the generational cycle, right? Like you break the the cycle of handing that down to your kids, and you say, "My my, uh, what I'm I'm certainly not going to do is continue to hand that down, but I'm going to heal myself and provide my kids with the life that I know I wanted when I was a kid, which was full of love and playfulness and joy, but also discipline, an immense amount of discipline, and and the third thing that's amazing about that is that you get a sense of purpose out of that, right? There's a real deep sense of life purpose in that. And (laughs) it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job and be a a full-time father. It simply means that you arrange your life. You arrange your existence in in as, as best as way as possible to be an extraordinary father. And that means being an extraordinary husband. And that also means committing to yourself, being extraordinary with yourself and being able to take care of yourself in such a way where you heal through those things and you don't pass them on. You don't pass on the anger or the pain or the sadness or the, all the shame and, and that kind of stuff, but you actually become the force of helping and healing and good. And, and that becomes this uh, purpose for you. 
And maybe your career changes somewhere down the road. I see a lot of men that go through this and they embark on this as their first step. You know, they really say, okay, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know if this purpose of healing my pain is going to be the like be all end all for my life. But certainly this must be the first step. And they embark on that, take that on as, as their purpose. And sometimes, you know, a, a different career or a different pathway unfolds in that. Sometimes it's different relationships. But does that land for you? That, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome, man. How, how are you feeling after the session? I know we've been going here for almost exactly an hour and a half. So how have you been feeling out of this conversation? Uh, I feel like I can take a lot away from this. I feel like, you know, there's things that I can work on to better myself. And, you know, there's been steps that I've already done to improve myself, which makes me feel a lot better than I did. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, self-worth, <laughs> how did you feel coming in? I was nervous. I was definitely, you know, sure what was going to come of this. Yeah. How are you feeling now after an hour and a half of, of bringing your life to me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, very informed, very, I don't even know what the word for it is. I feel better about myself and a little bit of guidance as to where I need to go. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's good. You know, that's, that's the, uh, that feeling that you're feeling. Cause you said, I can't really describe it in words. That's intuition, right? It's like, I know that's like your gut is talking. It's like, yep, this yep. is the right direction. That feels really damn good. I don't even have to think about it. Cause I seriously have no words for it, but that's what my gut is saying is right. Is that this is a good path forward and a good mission. Does yep. that resonate? Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. And maybe just share with me a little bit of, of what your, some of your takeaways were from this and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, yeah, taking away, you know, trying to see how opening up myself and being more open and putting myself out there to rejection a little bit more. Um, you know, even if the outcome isn't what I want, that it can help in the future. And not to be afraid of rejection so much. Yeah, amazing, amazing. That those feel like uh, those feel like good lessons. Yes, definitely. Yeah, wonderful. All right, my friend. Well, um, you know, I think I the last thing that I'll say is, and I, I'll be saying this on every episode, is that you know what you are embarking on is a training, and it's all training, right? Um, this is all training. You're training for purpose. You're you're training for healing. You're training to feel more joy in life, and and all of those things are are a purpose and a mission. And when you when you embark on that, I think the you know the beautiful thing about it is that uh, <laughs> that you always have work to do. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some work to do. <laughs> um, I, I want you to search out either, uh, you know, a, a great therapist that sort of specializes in trauma and, and being able to release some of that. Or I want you to look into, you know, weekends like what, what we do with Man Talks or the, the Good Man Project. Uh, and I want you to look into a weekend where you can go and, and, release some of the experience of, you know, what you experienced as a kid, release some of that trauma, heal some of it, face it, and be able to work through it. So it's not, you know, sort of, so it's not owning you and it's not being impacted and it's not being passed down anymore to your kids. Does that make sense? 
that makes a lot of sense and it's definitely something i want to look into yeah so that's that's your um that's your sort of like training assignment and uh would you be okay if i followed up with you in like a week to to make sure that that you're on that process that you're on that path absolutely okay all right my friend well, thank you so much for joining me. Anything else that you want to say to to the listeners that are that are listening into this uh, podcast, or anything else that you want them to know? Um, no, I just want to say thank you to you for allowing me this opportunity to speak with you, and I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, no problem, my friend. Well, thanks so much for being brave, man. I mean, this you know, you talk about resiliency and facing just risking, you know, like you just put a lot of stuff out there. And that's, that's a big risk. I remember the very first time that I opened up about just some anything in my life that I'd been hiding. And it takes a ton of courage and bravery. And, um, you know, especially in this type of platform, uh, you know, to have other people hear your story is absolutely huge. And there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of courage in that. And so I have no doubt that I'm going to follow up with you next week and, uh, and you're going to be on it and you're going to have like a list for me. And, uh, and I can't wait to see what unfolds for you next. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you so much. And for everyone that's tuning in, uh, don't forget to share this episode. If you enjoyed tuning into this conversation and you think that some other men or some other women will benefit from listening to this, uh, definitely share it with them. And uh, don't forget to subscribe on uh, iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, and leave us a rating and review it goes a long way. So thank you so much for tuning in. And, uh, you know, send some send some love, send some uh, strength to our guest because he is on a mission now. I feel like he's definitely on a mission. So thanks so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm.